0: Here's your host, value investing expert, Trey Henniger. Hello and welcome to the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henniger, and I'm your host. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to get more great investing content. If you're listening on YouTube, hit that like button on this video and any other platform, your five-star rating and review are a great way to support the show. Thank you for your support. So today we're here to talk about maintenance due diligence. This is not a a sexy topic to discuss. A lot of people don't really spend a lot of time necessarily thinking about this, talking about this, strategy on it, but I think maintenance due diligence is extremely important for the successful investor, and so that's why we're going to talk about it today. This podcast was inspired by a question I received from one of my listeners that I thought really hit to the core of maintenance due diligence and really inspired me to think more about what I'm looking for, what I'm doing, because this is an area that I've not really defined before on the podcast and not really gone into much depth. And when I received the question, I really had to think about it. I really had to work through what I was doing when I did maintenance due diligence, what I was really looking for. Um, and I think it, it's helped me improve my overall process. So thank you to the listener. You know who you are. Um, but let's, let's dive into this because I think it's, it's an important topic that we need to understand as individual investors. We need to understand as professional investors. And I think this will help all the people that manage their own portfolio. So the framing of the question is not exactly how I'm going to focus the whole podcast, but it's helpful because it kind of explains where I came from. So the question was really, what information do you want to know within the first year of owning a company that you couldn't know with absolute conviction at the time of purchase? So the idea here is it really gets to one of the things that maintenance due diligence is, is it's the research and follow-up that you do on a stock, on a business, after purchasing that stock. So due diligence for an investment is the research and discovery and valuation work and scuttlebutt that you do prior to buying a stock. But maintenance due diligence is the research and scuttlebutt and due diligence and work that you do after buying a stock to keep up with the investment and to continue to understand what's going on with your business. So that's what we're talking about today is what is that maintenance due diligence? And here the question was really framed around the first year of owning a company. Um, But I'm going to take it a little broader and think broadly, what Why do we do maintenance due diligence? How do we do maintenance due diligence? And what do we hope to gain from doing it? And so the framing here is very useful because when you think about an investment, before you buy a stock, You need to have confidence in the future outlook of the business. Before you have the stock, buy a stock, you need to value that business. Before you buy a stock, you need to understand management and capital allocation. You need to understand customer behavior. You need to understand growth prospects. You need to understand the risks. You need to understand all manner of things about the business before you make your first investment. So if that's true, what's left? Why are you still doing research after you've made your investment? Presumably you already know everything you need to know. And and that really touches on the first point, which is that you don't actually know everything you need to know. The Pareto principle is very valuable here. This is your 80-20 rule um, that when you make an investment, there's a few different things that, are, that come into play with the Pareto principle. First is that 20% of the information you know about a stock is gonna to lead to 80% of your results. So really, there's a few things that are most important. Three, four, five things that you know about a stock that drive 80% of the performance of that business. Which means that when I'm doing my initial due diligence, I'm trying to understand that 20% and I'm also trying to understand what part of what I'm looking for is that 20% because a lot of times you're learning a whole bunch of things at once and you have to filter down a lot of information. So you might understand growth prospects, you might understand risks, and you might understand capital allocation, but you don't understand um, customer behavior. Well, For this business, is customer behavior important? For some businesses it is, for some businesses it's less important. Um, Sometimes competition is more important to understand than customer behavior because customer behavior is driven by the competition environment. In other circumstances, the competition environment drives customer behavior. And so if you don't understand which one's more important then it's hard to get to the key understanding on the business. But, When I'm making an initial purchase, my goal is not to know 100% of everything there is to know before I buy the stock. Instead, I'm trying to understand 80% of what I might know about the stock, and then the remaining 20% is going to be left for the maintenance due diligence period. So one of the things I'm doing in maintenance due diligence is continuing the the research process to kind of just fill out anything else that I might have missed because once I've hit that initial 80%, I generally know enough to whether it's a stock I'm interested in buying or whether it's a stock I'm not interested in buying. And so just as the 20% of the information is going to lead to 80% of that results, the remaining 80% is also important. Um, But I'm also not going to wait to have hundred percent of possible information and eliminate all uncertainty before investing. Usually, if you wait to know hundred percent of everything, then you're going to miss out. You're going to miss opportunities because there's going to be um, something you don't know. There's always going to be something you don't know that you would like to know, but that may be unknowable. And sometimes it's it's hard to know whether that's unknowable or it just would take more work. But you really want to focus on identifying the three, four, five key drivers of the business. And once you've done that, that forms the core of your thesis. But you want to continue to learn about the business as time goes on with your investments. So that's the first thing with maintenance due diligence is just learn the remaining 20% about the company that you didn't know. The The next piece about maintenance due diligence is really about evaluating your prior work, trying to figure out, did I make a mistake? And the way I want to think about this and frame this for you is that anytime you're developing an investment thesis, you're making predictions about the future. And predictions about the future are always going to be wrong because it's impossible to accurately predict the future. But what you want to do is you want to limit the areas where you're wrong. You want to minimize those mistakes. That's why we have margin of safety when we make an investment. And it's why we focus on buying high quality stocks. It's why we focus on buying companies with low volatility in their earnings makes them more predictable rather than less predictable. It's why we buy companies with management teams we like because if you understand the management team and you like their capital allocation policies, then it's less likely to result in a negative surprise. But what you're doing when you're doing your maintenance due diligence is you're trying to understand Did I make a mistake, which is yes, there's always going to be some mistakes in your predictions of the future, but did you make a mistake in your core thesis? Is something wrong in how you predicted the future in a way that matters? Because there's going to be a lot of ways that you're wrong about the future that won't matter or that are better than you expected. For instance, if you predict that for your thesis to work, you need 6% growth for the next five years in order to get the return on your investment that you're seeking. And growth turns out to be 10%. Well, that's great. You were wrong, but you were wrong in a good way. You were too conservative. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. So yes, you made a mistake, but it was a mistake that worked out positively because you underestimated performance. Versus if you need 10% growth and instead of growing the company is declining for three or four years, that's something you need to be aware of. Why is it happening? Is it simply a short-term problem? Is it a long-term problem? You need to then evaluate have you made a mistake in the overall thesis because you bought the company as a growing company and then while you've been holding it, it's been declining. The key piece is not about the specific information. So as you get new information while you're owning a stock, it's not about, oh, they lost 5% of revenue this year. That's not enough to know whether it was a mistake to buy the stock or if you need to sell it or if you need to buy more. You need to know how that compares to your original thesis. Where was your original thesis wrong? Where was your original thesis right? And if your original thesis was wrong, is it wrong in a negative manner or wrong in a positive manner? And not only does it have to be wrong in a negative manner to really say you made a mistake on the investment, but it needs to be so wrong that it's outside of, of the inherent volatility of that investment. You know, if you're predicting 6% growth and growth was 5% in the first year, was that a mistake? No, 6% is a long-term growth rate. So that 5% could just be within the normal volatility of expectations for the future. It's just within the uncertainty threshold. So you can't make a long-term decision based upon that one number because it's insufficient to drive changing your investment. Now, if, if over and over and over again, growth doesn't meet what you're expecting, well, then you need to understand that. Now, it doesn't again mean that you sell because now you have to reevaluate and revalue the company based upon those growth rates. Maybe the stock price has gone down. And so now it's fair valued. So even though you might have made an original mistake, it would also be a mistake to sell now. And so that's the sort of thing you have to work through. So again, what you're trying to do is understand you can't predict the future. You know you're going to make mistakes and you just need to constantly update your understanding about the business, update your valuation over time. So that's really what you're trying to do. And then what you really want to watch out for Um, is this third item that I'm going to say. So, I mean, obviously, there's going to be deviations. You know, that second item I'm talking about, did I make a mistake? You're really talking about deviations. What are the deviations from your expectations, the small deviations, the things that um, you might have modeled a certain growth rate, you might have modeled a certain dividend or dividend growth rate or modeled something about the business, whether it's capital allocation or whatever. But the... Number three thing you're doing is you're watching out for big surprises. So maybe there was something core to your thesis. These are your three, four, five key items. So You, you might say, okay, let's. here's an example of three key items. So again, Solitron Devices is one of the stocks that um, is in my portfolio, and I've done a whole episode on my thesis for that. And of course, one of the thesis... For that company is that it doesn't require a lot of capital to be reinvested in the business in order to grow. So I'm assuming that there's some slack in the production capability. So right now they're able to produce 10 million in sales, and I think that they should be able to produce 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 million in sales without adding a lot of additional capital. So that's one of the key investment theses because it means that the capital they produce, the profits they produce, when they earn a million dollars in profit or two million dollars in profit here, they can return that capital to shareholders in the form of dividends or buybacks, or they can use that capital to make acquisitions along those lines. So what am I looking for? I'm looking for a big surprise there. What is a big surprise for that thesis point? A big surprise would be a substantial investment in new equipment. If they earn $2 million and they have to spend $1.5 million of it buying equipment in the next year, that I didn't plan on in my model, that's a big surprise. So I have to understand it. So then my maintenance student is like, is this a trend or is this a one-time thing? Like, is this all the equipment they need for the next 10 to 15 years? If so, okay, that's fine. But if they're gonna be putting 75% of their profits into equipment every year, then my original thesis was wrong and it was wrong in a big way. So again, you're looking for big surprises. Um, capital allocation's a big one like that. For instance, Let's talk dividends. If you think the company is going to regularly pay a dividend and increase it every year um, and they're never going to cut dividends. Well, so if you're used to a 4% dividend increase every year and it's just just normal, let's call it a utility company or um, like an Exxon Mobil. And instead of raising their dividend this year, they eliminate the dividend. Well, that's a big surprise because your dividend was a substantial part of the investment thesis. That's one of the big things you were counting on. What wouldn't be a big surprise? Well, if you were counting on a 4% dividend increase and it was only a 1%, that's not a big surprise. That's a deviation from expectations where you're kind of adjusting your model and adjusting your valuation. That's the second point. The big surprise is it's something that's just thesis-destroying, thesis disrupting that's going to require you to do a full brand new analysis on the company. Let's see another example. Um, And this could be two things. One type of thesis you might have is like a company that's going to roll up an industry. So they're regularly doing acquisitions. And so your thesis might be that you expect an acquisition once, twice, twice, multiple times a year, or maybe you expect an acquisition once every two years or once every three years. But then the company comes out and says, we're never going to do acquisitions in the future. Well, that's a big surprise from your capital allocation thesis. And so now you have to go back to the drawing board and see how that affects your investment. um, The same thing could happen in the other way. Maybe you don't think you don't want the company to do acquisitions and then they make a large acquisition. And now the company has gone from 100% in one industry to they've bought into a totally new industry. And so now there's a 30% part of the, a new 30% subsidiary that's in a new industry. This is a big surprise that's outside of your thesis. And so you're constantly monitoring for something like this. So, That's very important because a big surprise is a key area where if you get a big surprise, you need to consider very carefully selling the stock because it's something you didn't expect and it's something that changes the overall thesis for the investment. So you're constantly on the watch out for this. This is just the normal of paying attention to new press releases, um, reviewing quarterly reports, reviewing annual reports, trying to see if there's a big change in the direction of the company. Now, some big surprises are good. Maybe you didn't expect the company to make an acquisition, and then they come out and make a big acquisition. They dilute the company a little. But when you analyze it, it's great. It adds a lot of value. Well, now maybe it's a big positive surprise and you have renewed confidence in the management team. That doesn't mean you need to sell the stock. That just means that you didn't anticipate something that might happen. That's totally okay. But you're really wanting to watch out for big surprises that are a negative or that just completely change your understanding of either how much money you should have in the company. And that could be going from, okay, well, instead of a 20% position in my portfolio, this is really a 10% or a 5% position. Or maybe instead of a 10% position in the portfolio, I can't own it at all because this change means that it's no longer a high quality company or it's no longer a management team I trust. Those are the things you're really watching out for. So I've talked kind of about the things that here, um, and I'll reiterate them here for six. The first one is really learning the things you just couldn't find, um, and that's the remaining twenty percent of the company that was just the uncertainty, and and you had learned enough to make the purchase, but you always want to make sure you understand everything you can about it, and so you're you're not shutting yourself out to new information just because you bought the stock. So that's the first piece. The second piece is, did I make a mistake? It's adjusting um, your modeling and it's adjusting your expectations for deviations in the future. So you expected 10% growth and it grew 12%. So let's increase the valuation a little bit. You expected dividends. um, So you expected special dividends and you haven't seen them for years. So maybe you reduce your valuation a bit or you reduce your understanding of what you think the future capital allocation will be. Little things, so you're adjusting, your, the company's deviating from your expectations, maybe COVID happened and that drastically disrupted the debt circumstances, the company had to take on a lot of debt to avoid um, bankruptcy during COVID, um, something along those lines, you're trying to make adjustments to your portfolio as the future happens. Um, And then the third one is big surprises. Anything that's like thesis destroying or thesis disrupting is a big surprise. And you're constantly on the lookout for that because I have found it's better to respond quickly to a big surprise. I've had to address that in my portfolio this year. Um, One of my companies that I owned made a big announcement that I did not like. And so then I had to change the way I was perceiving that company, I had to immediately adjust the amount of money I had in that investment because it no longer matched, the le- my conviction no longer matched the percentage of the portfolio that it took up. Now, it wasn't a sell the stock. It was just this is too big of my portfolio. So that's one of those like, okay, it's not a 20% position. It's a 10 or a 5, um, that sort of thing. So I've talked a little bit about the what, but let's talk about the how. What am I doing for maintenance due diligence? Um, one of the things I'm doing is just constantly being aware and out there for the stuff um, that other people are saying about the stock. And this is the really simple part. It's it's basically periodically checking the ticker on Twitter to see if anyone's talking about the company, what they're saying. Um, periodically talking to other investors about the stocks. Um, if I know some of the other owners in the companies that I can talk to, then I might chat with them about what their expectations are for the company, how they're perceiving um, press releases or results. Um, do they like how things are going? Do they not? Do they think the company is gonna grow faster or slower? And it's just information gathering and regular conversations with other investors. I actually found this very helpful um, not because I ever adopt what another investor's expectations are, but what it can help me do is it can help me find blind spots. You know, if I'm expecting five percent growth and someone expects twenty percent growth, someone's way off. Now we're both probably way off, but there's a huge gap there. A lot of times, what I get when I talk to other investors is I'm expecting nine percent growth and they expect ten, and. That's basically identical. There's no difference there. That doesn't inform me anything. What I'm looking for is big differences where it could be that I understand the company better, or it could be they understand the company better and there's something I need to know. And so then that prompts further conversation. It's not about the estimates themselves, it's about what someone knows about a business that you don't know. Second thing I do is I read every quarterly report and every annual report by the companies that I own. So I don't own many companies. Right now it's four. Um, Ideally, it'd be five. So it's not a lot of companies. But if a company puts out a quarterly report, then I read the 10Q. And if a company puts out an annual report, then I read the 10K. And I find that very helpful. Um, Some companies, you really only need to read the annual report, check in once a year. But I find it helpful to read the quarterlies. They're usually very quick. If only the... You know, earnings release itself. Um, the one page earnings release, two page earnings release, and that helps me keep up with the company. Understand, you know, are earnings going up? Are they going down? You know, help me fine tune my model. That sort of things of of understanding growth rates, earnings, making sure there's not some big surprise. Um, I think you can get a lot out of just doing that. I think the minimum you need to do in terms of maintenance due diligence for a company is you need to read the annual report every year and you need to read the proxy statement every year. So that's the fourteen form 14A. If you're reading the 10K and the 14A form once a year, then I think you're in a good spot for doing maintenance due diligence. Now, I think that's the minimum. Ideally, you also check in on a quarterly basis Um, But the best companies don't need to be read on a quarterly basis. Um, I know at least one of the companies I own in particular, I really don't spend much time reading the – I don't actually read the quarterly – 10 q's because it's not necessary um it's a very easy to understand business and if i read the earnings report itself the one pager instead of the 50 pager then the one pager itself can allow me to keep up with the business and then i can spend time on the 100 page um annual report once a year and then basically following any any Press releases. Now, most of the companies I I invest in are really small, and they don't actually put out many press releases. I think some of them put out zero press releases each year if you exclude earnings releases. Um, Some of them put out maybe less than five. So that's really easy. You basically just put up an alert um, with one of many investment sites to alert you whenever a new press release comes out. It comes out, you read it, and then you spend a day thinking about if that changes anything. And 99% of the time it doesn't, but every once in a while it does. That's really what I do for maintenance due diligence. Um, A lot of the scuttlebutt is done up front. So trying to understand customer behavior, trying to understand how the business works is being done in advance of buying the stock. However, when businesses make changes, then that are either unexpected. So let's say it was a big surprise, but a positive one, or let's say it was um, just a general capital allocation surprise. Well, then that's something where maybe, you know, I might've done initial due diligence talking to the management team, but maybe I need to talk to the management team again. So um, some of the companies that I really like, I might reach out to management once a year just to keep in touch, make sure I understand, um, you know, the questions. I always have questions after reading an annual report and just trying to understand something about, how it works, how something, how the business works, is did something change? Um, and I find that to be helpful. So, you know, touching base regularly with management can be helpful um, for the companies that have earnings calls. Uh, calling into the earnings calls has been helpful to talk to management and ask questions as they can. For those that don't have earnings calls, sometimes they're willing to talk to investors anyway. So that's how I do my due diligence and really... The what is pretty simple. You're trying to figure out what you've done wrong, where you've made a mistake. Again, you're predicting the future and you're always gonna be wrong predicting the future. You just need to understand are you wrong by a lot or are you wrong by a little? Um, the how is is con- continuously monitor the releases of a company. Um, and that would be press releases and earnings releases and the annual reports. If you cover those things, that's generally what you need to do on a maintenance due diligence standpoint. The best companies, the only thing you'll need to read every year is the annual report. Those are the absolute best companies to own, um, but most people are going to own companies that don't meet that threshold. I've covered it a little bit, but I want to finish with the why. Why are we doing maintenance due diligence? You do maintenance due diligence so that you can minimize your losses from a mistake And so you can maximize your returns from successes. So if you realize you've made a mistake, you want to act quickly. Every time that I've lost money or a lot of money has been when I make a mistake, I realize it and I don't act quickly after realizing it. Versus. The times that I've minimized my losses is when I realize there's a mistake I've made and I quickly work to correct it. Usually, time does not favor the mistakes I've made because my mistakes tend to be buying too low quality of a business and not valuation or momentum based. They usually are based upon the quality of a business. I was wrong about the quality of a business. And in those cases, Time is the friend of a quality business, and time is the enemy of a low-quality business. So so acting quickly has made a difference for me. Versus, let's talk about winners. If you realize you found a winner, a lot of times it makes sense to add to the position. makes sense to increase the concentration in that position. So as you do maintenance due diligence, you might realize that You need to increase your concentration from 5% to 10% or from 10% to 20%. And maybe the stock price has gone up, but it's worth paying more now because you were right and you were right in a big way. One of the things that I have found to be true is, and I didn't believe it when I got started investing, was that the best stocks, the best management teams are going to surprise you often and it's going to be positive. You're going to be surprised to the upside by what happens when you buy and own long term winners. It's going to be stuff where you expect 10% growth and you get 12 to 15% growth. It's going to be stuff where you're expecting 10%. Uh, You know, 30% upside to the business, but you get 100% upside because their management's just really executing. They make a great acquisition at a great price. They buy back a ton of stock when the stock price crashes. Um, They make a great deal to improve the productivity of their equipment in their factories. All these sort of things are what you want to see in a very good long-term winner. And so you're gonna get positive surprises from your long-term winners. And so what I love to do, and this is something I did not do early on as an investor, but as I've switched to trying to find 10 baggers and 100 baggers, these long-term winners, is I like to buy them after their stock price has gone up because they're an even better deal today. I have even higher conviction. And so I like to add to my winners. So that's why we do maintenance due diligence. We do maintenance due diligence to confirm our conviction in stocks that are winning, and to quickly disabuse ourselves of our conviction on the stocks where we've made mistakes. And by doing so, we can minimize our losses and maximize our winners. Thank you for listening to this show. The full show notes for this episode, including my outline for today's podcast, are available at diyinvestingorg plus episode 123. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stop paying fees, start building wealth.